irrespective. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. So excited to be having this conversation, continuing this conversation on what we must do to stop petrochemicals and this overall environmental justice and climate justice. I'm excited because now I get to go to the great state of Texas. And as many of you know, I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. So I I, I feel like I have some Texas, Texas connections because of the where Shreveport is uh, up there in that part and the part in that part of the boot, as we call it. But I am so excited to have with me Iris Gonzalez and Miss Carol. So, Iris, how are you? I'm doing really well, Rev. Thank you so much for having us. I've I've been following the podcast for a little while, so I'm I'm excited to be here and to chat with you. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you too. And Miss Carol, how are you doing? I'm doing great today, and I. Like Iris said, I appreciate you for having us. Thank you. So, this, so, 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 Iris, wh- where are you located right now? Let's get to where you are physically. Sure, I am physically in the near north side of Houston in Harris County, Texas, um, and I uh, work out of my home office here, like so many of us are doing these days. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm here in in Houston, Texas, and excited to to feel this connection across the Gulf and the Gulf South with you. Um, as you said, there's a lot of similarities and a lot that connects us from Texas to Louisiana and, and the whole Gulf South. Mm. So if I get to Miss Carolyn in here where she is, for folks who don't know you, who is Iris Gonzalez? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, it's, you know, it's a big question for anyone, but uh, I guess I I define myself as the Mexicana, as a Latina, um, as the daughter of a lesbian mother and a father who, if he hadn't worked for a rental car service for 30 plus years, he he, he probably would have been an attorney um, and, and really active in this movement if he hadn't married a gringa who brought him over here to the United States from Mexico. Um, so I grew up in Texas. I grew up in San Antonio, but I was born in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico, and, you know, grew up with a mixture of hanging out in gay bars, uh, watching drag queens on stage and drinking Sprite out of the, <laughs> out of a glass bottle and feeling really cool about it. Uh, to, you know, memorizing the words to the Selena movie in English and in Spanish. Um, Both of my parents are writers, and so I carry that tradition with me as well. My dad is a poet. He's published um, in a few anthologies in Mexico and as a very sort of, you know, spiritual and connected to his roots kind of person. My mother is is vivacious and loud. Um, so all of that is, is how I show up and what I bring to this work. And I still feel a very strong connection to my homeland of Mexico. And, you know, even though they might not use the word activist or advocate, a lot of my relatives, my tios and my tias, and some of my cousins uh, have been organizing in their neighbors, in, in their neighborhoods and have been you know, fighting things like displacement and have been advocating for things like, you know, protection against floods and the impacts of climate change in their own community. And so I, I feel very called to this work because of, of all of those people who came before me and everything that I, that I show up with. Um, and as a, as, a, as a younger, I don't know if I can get away with calling myself a young person anymore, but as a younger person, you know, I also know that uh, I stand on the shoulders of those who came before me and that I'm here to contribute in whatever way I can to this movement that that has started many decades ago before before it was cool to be talking about environmental justice or before we had a president or a Congress who were talking about these issues in a real way. So I, I take that very seriously and I'm really grateful to be a part of this movement. Well, we are excited to be having this conversation with you. And I hope that we can bring in all of those stories 
I'm sure we will in some way back into this conversation and into this work. Miss Carol, uh, so where are you physically? And I'm actually the same question. Who is Miss Carol? Uh, Northeast side, very near to downtown. And who is, who is Carol? Um, I'm originally from Galveston, Texas. Um, my dad is from Galveston. My mom is from East Texas, up and around Lufkin, country girl. Um, I moved back here to Houston permanently around the fourth grade. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been here ever since. Jack Yates alumni. I don't know if you heard of Jack Yates, but yeah, third boy. Um, and I went into education. I am a former educator. Uh, I started out in daycares, Montessori schools, and then I went to the public schools. And uh, that's my life. Uh, uh, knowledge excites me. So uh, I guess that's why I went into education. And I love children. I don't have any of my own. So I uh, caress all of them around me as mine. So, yeah, uh, we put the two together, and that's how I ended up into the public school setting as an educator. So So I'm going to start off this deep climate justice, deep environmental justice, this very poignant conversation, what we got to do to stop these toxins and deal with petrochemicals conversation. But first starting off with both of you, if I come to Houston, what kind of food am I going to eat when I come to Houston? (laughs) What am I? Well, because you know, as organizers, you know, people don't understand. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta eat. You know, we we gotta build by by what we eat. So before we get all to this deep conversation, I wanna, I wanna lay out for those listening. They just like, man. So, so, Iris, I wanna start with you. What, what, what do you bring? If, if we all bring a little plate, uh, so, so I'm, I'm coming from obviously Louisiana. So I'm bringing some gumbo. So I'm, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring some gumbo. I don't know if anybody eat meat. So I'm asking about anybody if they eat some. Either gonna be some vegan gumbo, or it's gonna be some. It's gonna be some real gumbo. <laughs> nice, nice. I love this question. Yeah, you're right. There's there's so many ways um, that we can connect, and so many ways that we need to nourish and nurture each other. So I'm. Uh, I love to host people. If you come into town, you'll probably be at my house, and uh, I love to. I love to gather folks. I'm always the person who hosts Thanksgiving. So I take this food question very seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, this is like what I learned from my DS. I think I would probably, uh, and you got me thinking about scaling it for vegetarians, vegans, and all the different dietary uh, accommodations nowadays. I probably just make you some like really good enchiladas. And we can mm. we could do all kinds of different fillings in those. But I, I love like a good uh, mushroom and like poblano pepper enchilada. And we could put meat in that. We could not like it's just getting getting that sauce right. Uh, but if if we weren't eating at my house, I'd probably take you to Chinatown, to Asia Town. That's probably okay. my, my favorite spots in town to, to go and get a good meal. I love that. Miss Carol, what you bringing to dinner for us? Well, uh, I'm like Iris. I, I love to cook. I love to bake, but I wouldn't know what to do with a vegan. I do. A- well, no, no. Well, I, I didn't say. I, I, let me be, be clear. I'm not. I am. I'm actually a pescatarian because you know when you're from the south, you gotta, you gotta have, you, you gotta, you gotta be some balance sometimes. Folk might be listening. I know I got, I know I got a whole bunch of listeners from both coasts, from the east coast and the west coast. I know a lot of y'all vegans and vegetarians. When you from down south now, you got to, they will, they will complain about you. They'd be like, I can't cook nothing for you. You, so my, 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 my I am a, I am a pescatarian. I will, will, I will have some kind of seafood. So that's me. So that's, that helps you. Yeah, well, yeah, that might help seafood you. seafood know. gumbo then. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I don't know what to do for you. Cook some greens and not put no fat back in them. <laughs> <laughs> Now you know, Miss Girl, a whole lot of folk who don't know what fat back is, but we but but we gonna let them find out about what, what is petrochemicals. They can find out for themselves on fat back. <laughs> we gonna let them find out for themselves, man. It's first of all, again, it's it's an honor um, to talk to both of y'all, and you know, yes, I, I want to go back to you, you know, because we having this conversation also, 
And people don't know that we laugh, we love, we, we, we smile, we do all these things, which is the reason why we don't want these toxins in our community. So kind of break it down for them. What you start off, what's the challenge that we're facing right now in your community um, with, with, with whatever you want to really discuss, but in Pacific around these chemicals and petrochemicals and why is it urgent um, in this process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to say in response to, to that question, but um, part of the, the work that I do uh, on a day-to-day basis is as the coalition director for SEER, the Coalition for Environment, Equity, and Resilience. And that's a collaborative of 28 nonprofit member organizations who came together shortly after Hurricane Harvey. So we'll be celebrating our four-year anniversary later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, really in response to this question and to this issue, to the urgency of, of these challenges, um, challenges connected to, you know, contamination and degradation and pollution of our air, our land, our water, and its impact on people and its impact on generations of, of people and their health. Um, and knowing that, you know, these these leaks and these spills and these explosions and, you um, you know, these things that that happen, uh, especially during a thing like a Harvey, a big climate shock like a Harvey, they happen every day in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And with climate change, we can expect just a continuation of of a compounding and a multiplier effect of, of those incidents and, and of those um, of those things. And so as Houstonians, we have lived through many, you know, once in a lifetime events. Uh, just in the past five, six, seven years. Um, and so we know that that these issues are extremely urgent. We know that we are one of the places that's the poster child for these issues and and what our what our future holds. Um, and uh, you know these these challenges cost a lot of money. there's there's a huge price to pay. Um, $250 billion in damages from droughts and storms and floods uh, in Texas over just the last few decades. Uh, But there's also a human cost. And, um, you know, there's a cost to families and to neighborhoods. And so SEER was really born from the storm as an entity, as a a table um, that could really advance policy solutions and get to the root of these issues um, and, and speak to decision makers and bring community to speak for themselves to decision makers about what's happening and what needs to change. Because I think one of the things that feels very urgent um, as a Houstonian, as a person who lives in Houston, is what happens to people on the margins. Um, you know, there's there's sort of this word of, you know, disaster recovery. And I think um, more and more of us are really seeing that as, as a myth, right? People don't recover from these things. Uh, people on the margins, some people recover, but people on the margins don't don't ever fully recover. They're they're made homeless. They're displaced. Um, some of them lose their life or lose family members. Um, and, you know, there's just this compounding and multiplier effect that happens and the gaps keep getting bigger. You know, in, in Meyer land, which is a uh, historically uh, white, historically wealthier suburb or part of of Houston, after Harvey, families got home elevations. And it didn't matter that it costs, you know, twice or three times the amount of the the price of the home to elevate it. They got elevations. And then in in Northeast uh, Harris County, there's a a new mandatory buyout program where people in neighborhoods like Allen Fields uh, that has a predominantly Latino population, a lot of Vietnamese population, um, and a lot of folks who live in trailer homes, they're being they're being bought out. They're being relocated. You know, the government is saying we we can't do anything else for you. You're hopelessly, you know, in the floodplain, and now you you've got to you've got to move. You've got to leave. We have to relocate you. And so, you know, some people are made whole, and some people become climate migrants and climate climate mm-hmm. refugees in our own backyard. And so, we know that that you know we need to close this gap. Um, and I guess the last thing to say specifically around the petrochemical issue is that tech, you know, Texas plays a huge role in, in what happens and what will happen on the issue of climate justice and the issue of petrochemical, uh, 
um, power and of emissions reduction. If if uh, if Texas doesn't doesn't move in the right direction, you know these global emissions reduction goals, these these at an international scale, the U.S. putting out there these goals to reduce emissions and to you know to meet these these international um, agreements will not happen. Uh, Houston alone is the sixth largest metropolitan economy in the U.S., but our toxic air emissions are more than the the top five metro economies combined. So if you add up all the five top cities and their emissions, we we have more than that. And we have the largest petrochemical facility concentration in the world. Mm. So, you know, if if Texas doesn't doesn't meet these goals, doesn't doesn't do the right thing, we can't go there as a country and we can't get there as as a as a globe, as a as a world. Um, so the stakes could not be higher. The urgency could not be greater. We've got to get it right. Miss mm. Carol, same same question to you. And but I'm gonna add this one 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 piece to it is that you know again, what is the specific challenge that you are facing in your community, specifically around petrochemicals and, and other issues you may want to bring up? Again, what what why is it urgent? But the one thing I also want to add to you is that you mentioned when you were doing your introduction, you talked about Third Ward. So paint a picture about what this means to Third Ward and what to, what it means to your community from, if you can, for folks who don't know your community. Okay, so what this means to my community, I'm very near to Third Ward. Um, climate justice, it's mean a lot to mm. uh, my community. Um, but what I can say uh, as a foot soldier on the ground, going door to door as a, a climate ambassador, uh, air ambassador, uh, I'm, another, I'm with another organization called COCO, Coalition for Community Organizations. And, and what that's all about, we're, we're going door to door to the residents in Fifth Ward because we have been, um, I guess, on the map for pollution and uh, what, what's been found in Fifth Ward is a lot of lead in the land and water mm. and uh, along with creosote and uh, it's a lot of people dying over here with cancer. So I'm with these three organizations. Uh, I'm on the forefront. I'm the foot soldier. I'm going door to door. I am uh, enlightening the people. Uh, I'm educating them about climate justice, about the pollution, our environmental pollution, how it affects our everyday lives, how it's uh, it's going to affect, and it is affecting uh, our life, our longevity, and uh, separate from other communities here in Houston, you know, just because the less fortunate, I say, less fortunate neighborhoods in uh, Houston, uh, I'm the foot soldier, and I'm trying to educate and enlighten them about climate justice and how it affects them, how it affects their family, how it affects us in the long run. And uh, uh, with education, that's going to give them a power uh, to stand with the organizations that I'm with so we can do something about it. Uh, We deserve as human beings, whether uh, black or brown, white, ebony or gold, uh, uh, it doesn't matter about the skin color. We're human beings and we deserve a right to live our best life, uh, you know, our physical well-being to the best that we can. And if mm-hmm. we if we get this help from the uh, local entities as well as the government to uh, treat us on a fair scale and uh, clean up our neighborhoods and uh, clean up our drainages and give us the same as uh, all the other neighborhoods, you know, as far as uh, pollution and its environmental inequity. Hmm. I'm gonna start with you, Miss Karen. I'm gonna go back to Iris in this in this this question here. So I'm gonna start with you, Miss Carol. Um, and I'm gonna lead with this. Though. I'm gonna give you a leading into the con- into the question. One, I love talking with both of you because I believe that the the movement will be successful when it is led by BIWAC, a leaderful movement, meaning a black, brown, indigenous woman of color 
leaderful climate movement. I believe that that, to me, is one of the solutions to the climate crisis. That's the first thing. Second thing, I, I believe in a movement that is led by all of us, as you mentioned, by our brothers, our sisters, our non-binary cousins. I, I, I am a believer in, in that as well, um, that it would take all of us to do this. But I'm also, I also realize that with these petrochemical plants and these toxins, they are, they are put in our communities. And so I am very clear that those who are most impacted by this are those of a darker hue and those sometimes from poor communities. And so, as I mentioned before, being from Louisiana, I watched in horror, specifically my family and friends who were in the 7th Ward in New Orleans, um, literally drown. I watched them drown um, and be left behind in the richest country in the world. So as you sit, as you both sit there in, in Texas and specifically in Houston, but definitely in you, and you're taking on this battle. And we're going to get more to the battle in a second. Again, I'm going to start with you, Ms. Carroll. Who do you want to hear this? Like, 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 who do you want to hear this message about what's going on in um, this fight that you're engaged in? I want everybody to hear it. I want everybody to know uh, what we're up against. Uh, what is our fight and what is our um, purpose behind the fight? Um, our two greatest weapons, the first is communicating. Mm. That's why I'm a foot soldier going door to door. Our second is knowledge. If we enlighten and the knowledge, I mean, that's power. Uh, I don't think that everybody in my neighborhood is just sitting still, sitting dormant. For no reason, I believe that just as myself, being a resident of Fifth Ward for 35 years, being an educator here in Fifth Ward and so on, I wasn't aware of the uh, environmental pollution mm. until I encountered SEER, this uh, same organization that Iris is with. And uh, once my eyes was open, I mean, that was it. So. Uh, I got to let everybody know what we're up against. Uh, it's it's like it's hitting in broad daylight, you know. And uh, when I uh, look at the map, you know how the mapping they have when they section off Houston, uh, any city. And uh, I looked at that map and it showed that my life expectancy was 10 years less than other neighborhoods that's more fortunate. I, Hey, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. I still live in Fifth Ward. I I have to do something. I have to do something about that. So, yeah, I want everybody to hear it all the way up to the presidential seat. And um, I mean, I think that when Biden got in the office, that was one of the things he spoke about was uh, climate justice and about the uh, the money that's set aside and allocated for it, but we are not seeing it, you know, and uh, that's not fair. And uh, we need to see it and we need to put it into our neighborhoods to make a, a better life for us all. Black, brown, ebony, our gold. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, same question for you. Uh, who do you want to hear this? Yeah, I, I agree a lot with with what Miss Carol just said, and you know, I think um, for us as as an organization focused on policy and seeing that as a as a big part of our theory of change, um, you know, those those who are in power, those who are in elected office, those who um, are leading work at the departmental level, um, those who are part of the structure and the system that we're we're trying to. Um, to revamp and to improve, um, and I and and those who are considering running for office, who are thinking maybe I could take that on, maybe that is me. You know, I think that uh, in this work, it's really it's really easy to remove the human component. Um, you know, we're talking about the systemic and structural change that's really big and and can feel very overwhelming. Um, but we have to remember that you know these structures and these systems were created by humans, are upheld by humans, and that people have a lot of power 
um, to, to reimagine them and to, and to get better results, to get real results from them um, for, for everyone. And so I, I say that because I think I often see a lot of folks who are in power uh, acting like they're powerless and, and that can't, you know, that can't stand. We, we need them. We need them to see themselves as a really important part of the, of the change and of the solution. And we also need those outside of these systems and outside of government to understand their power. Um, and I think, you know, this is why it's so great to, to be on the podcast and to the work that you're doing um, is that we really need to infiltrate the culture and we really need to, um, you know, shift these narratives and everyone has a role to play in, in that work. Um, I think that very often when it comes to issues like climate change or environmental pollution, environmental justice, uh, we leave it to the scientists and to the engineers and to the, the technical folks with letters after their names. And, uh, you know, we need we need those solutions, right, that they're going to come up with because of, of the spot that we're in now. But we have to understand as humans what got us here. And if we're going to unravel something, we have to understand how it was created and constructed in the first place and to benefit who and at the cost of, of who. Um, and so I want people to see themselves as a part of, of this work and of this movement and to lead wherever they are, um, because it's, it's a social issue. It's an economic issue. It's a, it's a moral issue. Um, and so we can vote, we can register people to vote, we can run for office, um, and we can each other, right? In, in our trainings and our teachings, it's really about how to, how to do what Ms. Carol is doing, right? Talk to your own neighbors, talk to people in your own network, in your own communities about these issues and um, not make it feel like it's happening somewhere else to someone else. It's us right here, right now. And we have, we have tremendous power to work together to, to see change and to affect change. Mm. I love that. And I also wanted to say, Ms. Carol, I didn't, I, I know I've said earlier, third ward, and you corrected me very, very, uh, in a very polite Houstonian way <laughs> and, said, and, said, <laughs> and said fifth ward. So I appreciate you. And it's funny, you know, I'm hip hop too. So I know that all my folks in the fifth ward and Houston being like, come on, Red, well, you may, you know, you you know what's going on. You know, we down here in Fifth Ward. So I, I understand. And like I said, being having folks in New Orleans, you know, we, we have a thing where, you know, between seventh ward and ninth ward was, you know, so I appreciate you uh, uh just politely just keeping it moving. And I say, I'm just gonna ignore Red. I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be my educated self here and just gonna keep it moving to the <laughs> to the so I appreciate you. I just wanna say that for those who are listening. Um before I before I go to Miss Carol on this question, Iris, I just want to ask you this thing. You know, what strategies does your work offer to meet the challenges that you're facing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, SEER is a, is a collaborative. So one of our biggest strategies is to work in coalition. Um, this work is really large and, and everything really is bigger in Texas, Rev. So we there we need all these hands. All these hands are needed. So our, our biggest strategy is to work in coalition. And uh, SEER as an organization created an eight point plan, uh, which is really our framework for these policy solutions. And um, addressing things like air, land, water, equity, resilience, um, and displaced peoples. And so um, it's it's from there that, that we really um, distill down advocacy campaigns. Um, and so we're working at the local level with the city, with the county, uh, at a regional level across five counties in Southeast Texas, and then activating those folks at the state level to participate and, and bring their power and bring their influence uh, to our state agencies and to our state decision makers. So our, our strategy is really about working in coalition and, and SEER is made up of um, about half of our members come from our organizations that come from sort of the mainstream green traditional uh, movement groups that have been historically white-led, historically well-resourced, and historically more comfortable talking about the extraction of the planet and not so much the extraction of people. And then the other half of our coalition are organizations that come to this conversation through a lens of civil rights and human rights, right? Everyone deserves the right to clean air and clean land and clean water. 
Um, and their work is around power building and community organizing and civic engagement um, and, and labor. Um, and so we combine, we combine all of that along with values-based community organizing uh, and building deep relationship with people in impacted communities along the fence line, folks who are living day to day on the front lines. And so one of our values um, that guides our strategy is that there are many ways of knowing, right? We each have a different form of wisdom to contribute. And, and we as, as SEER put the technical expertise um, of our scientists and our researchers and our academics and our lawyers and the people with the letters after their names, we put that on at the same level as community expertise. And we know that to come up with the best solutions we need all of those those ways of knowing to work together, and so our work is to is to hold space for that to happen, and to um, you know ad advance action and advance strategy across those different stakeholders um, who often don't see the world in the same way. Right? There's a lot of tension uh, built into what I just said of having those different kinds of groups at the same table working together on policy solutions, and so a lot of the strategy is also about like living out that principle of the the Hemes principles for democratic organizing how as we transform the world around us are we also transformed how do we need to call in uh you know the folks who have have not um seen the the conversation for social justice and climate change as the same conversation and how do we uh build and share that power across them uh, for a better result. And so we do a lot of calling in, we do a lot of training, we have a lot of honest and open conversation with our, our traditional green groups and with community and, and we're all learning all the time together, the arrows of learning point in all the directions. Um, so coalition work is hard work, but we know that, that is, uh, that's an important part of the strategy. And, um, you know, at this point we see it, it's scaling and growing and the need to, to work in coalition with other coalitions to, to take all this on because that's that's how big it is here in Texas. Mm. So I'm going to ask you one follow-up question before I go to Ms. Carol here then because you brought up something I think I need to, I'm curious to know. Um, and knowing how coalitions are, and I applaud um, that, and I applaud all the groups who are there um, in, in, in that environment, my question, though, is this, because as we are moving toward a place of liberation, is that same coalition a safe space for liberation to be pushed forward? I think that, that the work to, to get there and to get that right never stops. Um, so I feel like the answer is yes. And, and also, um, you know, I'll never be satisfied <laughs> because, because it, 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 um, it's something that will always be there. Um, and so I think for us, it's really important to, to be able to engage with community in real and deep ways and to put them in, in positions of power, even within our, our own organization and, and the decisions and the work that needs to happen. And so that means, you know, sharing uh, grant proposals and grant budgets and, um, you know, being very, very transparent with everyone, including and especially community members. And so I think the, the, the best people to answer that question are the folks who are most impacted and we won't, we won't get their answer if they're not at the table in a real way. So um, I, I think we are setting a, a mold and setting a an example for how that can be done with all these different groups. And it's really challenging. And, and I know we're, we're still not getting it totally right. Um, so that's the work that, that will continue. I think that will always be there for, for a group like Sierra and anyone who, who really takes on um, convening and assembling and building real transformative relationships, not surface level relationships, but real relationships across those different stakeholders. Miss hmm. Carroll, as you were talking earlier, and you were describing the fact of your awakening in this process when you begin to see the maps and you begin to see what was coming out of the toxins and you be, you begin you talk about literally the life expectancy that is shorter um, literally because where you live 
And that clearly, in this conversation, um, has has shown me what you are doing, obviously, is that it has compelled you to knock on doors, do everything you can to blow the whistle. The question for you, Ms. Carroll, is this, simply that what are you willing to do or undo to win? What am I willing to do or undo to win? Yes, ma'am. Well, I first like to say that I, uh, I definitely feed off Iris' passion for coalition, and uh, mm. I appreciate them for even coming to the community to even begin to enlighten us the condition that we're living in. And I am at this point willing to do anything. Uh, I say that um, even unto death, because that's what it's all about. I'm living now. Uh, we even in COVID. We're not going to even talking about COVID. Um, so, hey, you know, that's worldwide. But anyway, so, yeah, I'm living now. But um, this environmental injustice affects my living. So, yeah, I plan to uh, fight to the day I die and enlighten um, my community and anybody else around me and educate them. And hopefully they'll uh, join forces with me and, and, you know, fight for environmental justice, environmental equity. And that's for all the disadvantages, neighborhoods, whatever city or state they're in. Hmm. I just got two more questions for you both. And, man, thank you both for your courage and just amazing, uh, uh, you know, just what you've been saying in this conversation. So. Again, I, I'm going to start with you now, uh, working back the other way. I'm going to start with you here, Miss Carol, in this. Uh, and I just got two of them. I, I might have two and a half. I, I, I may have a question about what kind of, I asked about food. We start off, what kind of music you, you listen to at the end here. So I, I'm going to try to squeeze that one in. But that's that's my bonus question for me so I know what to bring and and, and know what to eat when I get down there. <laughs> but this is the, these are the, these are the two fundamental questions. So, Ms. Kerr, what does success look like? I mean, we talk about stop petrochemicals. What does success look like to you? Man, that's a big question. And uh, I, I embrace that question uh, with, uh, with a lot of power behind it. Um, what success looks like to me mm-hmm. is having that environmental inequity and justice that we're fighting for. That's what success looks like to me. Mm. Oh, yeah. We will have it. I mean, um, like I said, I'll fight to the day I die. Hopefully, uh, we'll have it before I close my eyes. But if we don't, I will empower anybody around me, um, the young people that's coming behind me, so that one day we will have it. Yeah. Mm. Here is the same question. What does success look like to you in this fight? Yeah, I mean, I think it looks like a lot of things, Um, you know, people being able to to, um, breathe clean air and not be worried about what their kids are are running into, you know, when they're playing in puddles after a big rain event, whether whether it's a rain event like Harvey or Imelda or Maria, or it's just a, a, a storm that doesn't even have a name but that still brings damage. Um, and, and for parents and people to not have to worry about what's in that water um, and, and how the you know second uh, invisible storm of, of pollution that happens after a hurricane from petrochemical facilities emitting millions of pounds of pollution in our air and in our water and our land. Um, for that to not be a worry and for that to not be, especially such a, 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 a disparate worry Right for for certain communities to to not um, be able to even have the option um, to to um, access certain things because of of the conditions that are there for them to not have to have to worry you know am, am I the next person on this block who's going to get cancer am I the next household who is going to lose someone um, to these chemicals to what's underneath my house what's behind you know, my backyard, um, what's, what's in the bayou down the, down the road. Um, and so I think, you know, success looks like people being able to actually, um, have equity in in that way in their day-to-day life. Um, and, and I think to get there, 
you know, part of what success looks like is, is real results, is real investment. Um, I think a, a big thing that I'm seeing is people, you know, there's a heightened awareness and there's a heightened urgency to talk about things like equity and justice. I'm still seeing, seeing folks being very stuck in the, the surface level window dressing. We should all agree on a definition of equity. We should all like come up with a definition for environmental justice in Houston. Like we, we need to go much. That's like step one, a of, of millions of steps along this journey. Like we need you to hurry up. Um, and so I think it's, it's about seeing real investment, something, you know, that Ms. Carol was talking about, there's already a framework at the federal level. And so we need to be matching that at the local, local level. And we need, uh, as a community to be able to track those investments and to see, you know, here, here is the gap that we're, that we need to fill and here's the plan to fill it. And here's the dollars coming our way in order to, to address those needs. And so success means, you know, we don't have these statistical outliers anymore. We don't have these, these compounding and multiplier effects I was talking about that, that grow income disparity and, and build wealth for some people and perpetuate, you know, intergenerational poverty for others. Um, I think, uh, another part of success is that our our leaders, especially in Texas, are are courageous and are brave. That they that they they put themselves out there. You know that they don't accept money from industry. Uh, they don't accept the you know the continuation of the power that oil and gas and industry has had in our politics and in our day to day um, decision making. And and that they um, you know in, in Houston, industry paid for the, the creation of our climate action plan and for the establishment of our, of our resilient and sustainability offices. Um, and so there's a role for them to play. We need our polluters to pay and to be held accountable, um, but we, we need to limit and be real about their power in, in our state government and in our local government. And so, you know, having people who are in those seats be brave and courageous enough to push back on that and to say enough is enough and we need to put people above, above all else. So, so that's a little bit about what, what success looks like to me, what, what the future could hold. Uh, as Ms. Carroll says, when we are successful, not if we are successful. I know that's right. I know that's right. But this is my last question here. And so I'm going to forego my music question. I'm just going to say that I know it's, I know it's, I know it's good music in Houston. So, and in Texas, so I'm not even going to, so I know we're going to have some good music. Because, so that's not even, so that's the, that's, that's one of those kind of questions. I have. It's, it's almost rhetorical. It is, it answers itself. It's just going to be, we, we're going to have good music. And when we, when we come down there and, we, and when we break bread. So this is my, this is my last question. I'm going to start with you, Iris, and then go to Miss Carol. So this is pretty basic. Well, the first part is basic. The other part may be a little tough, but, the first part here is obviously how can people keep up with your work? Uh, how can they support you and how can they take action? That's the first part. The second part to that is that after you answer those, you know, those, those how, how people can support you and take action and where to find you and, you know, websites, wherever you want to say that. I, I want you then, I'm, I want you to then imagine like this is your, this is your speech. This is your moment to tell the people what's ever on your heart. It ain't got to deal with no, it, it could be toxins. It could be whatever other issue you want to deal with, but it's just to help the next generation do better. That's, that's that. That's what this is about. So first part is how can people keep up with your work, support you, take action. And then the second part of that is that I need you to speak to the next generation. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for this question. Um, well, you can follow SEER, the Coalition for Environment, Equity, and Resilience. We're on we're on all the socials, uh, usually under at SEER Houston uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, and you can find our website at SEERHouston.org. Um, and we post, you know, ways to get involved and stay connected and um, and also policy briefs and other things that that we're working on, you know, public comments that we provide, et cetera. You can you can follow us and you can see us walking the walk, not just talking the talk on all those platforms. Um, but I guess, you know, for for um, the next generation, but also for all of us, because uh, I, I think this is an intergenerational 
movement. It always has been, and, and it always will be. Um, I think that, you know, the, the biggest message is, is, um, you know, being able to, to really lead from where you are. The most important thing that, that we need from folks is, is to lead from wherever they are. Um, and to, to not leave it to the, the technical wizards, um, you know, to really, when, when the issue of climate change comes up to make sure that, uh, it includes justice and equity and, and not just, you know, uh, the melting of the ice caps and the polar bears and the rising sea levels. It includes all that too, but it includes this whole history, this whole movement, um, that has come before and that it, that is still here. And so I think, for me, it's about helping people understand the intersection, the intersections of this work, and how um, how it's all connected, um, and and not seeing those as two separate conversations. And I think the more that we we popularize this narrative in every aspect of our society, um, you know, that's how policy can then match it and reinforce it and and live it out. Um, but I think we first have to know what what we we have to imagine the kind of future that we want together before we can ask for it, before we can demand it. Um, so, so that's, that's what I, what I'd like to see. And, and for, you know, for folks who, um, who don't know where to start, I guarantee you that there is a community wherever you are already working on this. Um, and that community has a seat for you. And they're ready. They're ready for your hands. And if you're already in that community, then keep doing what you're doing. Keep recruiting others and and be ready to pick up the slack when others have to take a step back rest so that you can continue you know we didn't we didn't talk about this but uh in in texas and louisiana i know that of, of all the funding that goes to groups who are working on these issues of, of climate change across the country only two percent of that money of that funding comes to texas and louisiana mm. and and yet right like here we are and, and we're getting these wins and we're getting these victories, but we're tired, Rev. <laughs> and, and we're doing all this on a shoestring budget. And so I think, you know, we, we need to, we need to rest. We need to be mindful of, of um, how we're growing the pipeline and how we're asking others to, to work in coalition um, with us. And, and we need to be always recruiting um, but, but we've got to, we've got to take care of ourselves in the process as well. So that's what I would say to, to the next generation and anyone who, who is, feels moved and compelled to, to join this effort or to deepen their commitment to this movement. That's beautiful. Ms. Carroll, you have the last word and this last question. One, how can people keep up with your work, support you and take action? And the floor is yours to speak to. Um, both the now and the future generation. Okay, and that's a that's a wonderful question. Just like Iris said, to keep up with me, um, I uh, uh, I work with a lot of groups, not only Sear um, that I mentioned earlier, but airlines, and they're in the fight against air pollution. And I also work with Coco Coalition for Environmental Action. And uh, what we're doing is we are addressing the lead problem here in Fifth Ward that's in the soil and in the water. And we are in collaboration with Texas A&M. And so they, their students come down and they actually collect samples of the water and the soil uh, from each resident who chooses, um, you know, to want to be a part of this and know what's really affecting their lives. And they take it back to Texas A&M and they test it and they give us the results. And um, that's, I mean, like I say, it's not just one organization. Um, Like Iris said, we are different entities, but we're all in the same fight. And that's for environmental equity and the things that's in our environment and in our um, community that's polluting us. Um, Iris, I'm sure she gave you all the uh, <laughs> the websites to keep in contact with us, but if you want to keep in contact with me personally, um, my Gmail address, it's climatechangeambassador05 
at gmail.com. Um, hit me up. Um, we can get together, um, bring more to the table. I mean, knowledge is power. And uh, yeah, what I would like to uh, leave to a legacy behind and uh, before is uh, to live your best life and um, to have the best well-being for your life. You've got to have clean air, clean water, and clean soil. Um, even uh, COVID worldwide. The impact has taught us um, a lot about um, just the air we breathe. I mean, that's how you catch it, just breathing in the air around you. Uh, I was a victim of COVID, and it was just the air I breathe around me and someone else home that was uh, infected with it. And so, yeah, environmental, uh, yeah, environmental equity is definitely uh, something that needs to be more on the media in the hip hop messages. Uh, you said something about music. Um, I, I definitely love hip hop. Uh, I love rap music. I like the messages that they are, they, they attempt to convey to anyone that's listening. And uh, we should put more of that in our, 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 our lyrics. How about that? I like all of that. Well, let me say this. Y'all two are amazing. And I'm going to be pulling, joining with you as we both, all of us, fight to make this world a better place. And, and that is Iris Gonzalez and Miss Carol. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you both. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a nonprofit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. No. It's the coolest show, you know.